0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Jerusalem Church, an independent Reformed church in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Our expository preaching ministry is devoted to proclaiming the law and the gospel for the glory of God and the salvation, growth, and comfort of Christ's church. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at JerusalemChurch.net. Here's a message that we hope strengthens your faith and comforts your soul. We've had some recent births at Jerusalem church and this is quite exciting and so we celebrate that and, and as Jesus uh, talked about in John 16, you moms know how labor feels and you know how the joy of babies arrival quickly eclipses the pain. Moms, you remember the contractions. Did they mean babies here? No. No, labor can take hours and sometimes days, and no one knows exactly when baby will come. Eleven years ago, a Polish woman was pregnant with triplets, and one of her babies was born prematurely, and sadly, that, that baby died. To save her other two babies, she laid almost upside down in labor for 75 days. 75 days, that's... Absolutely incredible. Early labor can last for hours or even days. The contractions intensify and become more frequent. Active labor can last four to eight hours or more. Contractions intensify and become more frequent. Cramps, nausea, and back pain are common. But baby's not here yet. And then comes transitional labor. It's intense. It can last for 15 to 60 minutes. Then comes pushing, which can last minutes or maybe hours. Baby's not here yet. Exhausting. Doesn't that, men, doesn't that sound exhausting? Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much. Exhausting. So a woman can experience hours, even days of labor pains, and then baby comes. So labor pains don't mean... Baby's here. No one knows exactly when baby will come. Jesus used the excellent illustration of a mother's labor pains to explain to his beloved disciples the events of the last days. The last day refers to Christ's parousia, or his second coming. But the last days refer to the age between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. The illustration of a mother's labor pains prepared the disciples to persevere in the last days. In Matthew 24, Jesus prophesied many events and he told his disciples not to be alarmed because those troubling events must take place. And then he added, but the end is not yet. He then spoke of more events and said, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. The metaphor helps us understand the age between Christ's ascension and Christ's glorious return, the age in which we now live. Painful tribulation doesn't necessarily mean Christ's return is immediate. The disciples found that out. We don't know when Christ will return. Like the disciples, we experience contractions. Contractions. But as we wait, we know this one comforting thing for sure, Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. Every labor pain then reminds us of our king's certain return. Matthew 24 is a difficult text. Uh, However, Christ intends these verses to strengthen and comfort us as we await the return of our King. So here's the practical point that I hope to make to you, uh, make for you from the text today, and it goes like this: As you await Christ's return, trust God. Trust God in his promises and live for him, for he is sovereign and Christ is building and preserving his church until he saves his beloved in the end. Eschatology or the study of final or last things, is a very thought-provoking topic that raises many questions and even fears. When you have questions and even fears about the end times, come to Christ for his comfort. So let's not forget where we've been. Matthew 24 and 25 mark the last of Christ's Five discourses in Matthew. The first was the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, where Christ explains kingdom ethics. The second was the mission discourse in Matthew 10, where Christ prepares and sends his apostles out to do kingdom ministry. The third was the parabolic discourse in Matthew 13, where Christ uses parables to describe the kingdom. The fourth was the discourse on the church in Matthew 18 where Christ speaks of entering the kingdom as a little child by God's grace and how the kingdom manifests itself in church life. And now in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus speaks to his disciples about the last days and his own return to consummate his kingdom. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus gives his disciples comfort by preparing them for turbulent events that they would encounter shortly after his death, resurrection, and ascension. A new age was dawning. The old covenant was giving way to the new covenant. In Matthew 23, Jesus presented himself as the church's one teacher, one instructor, as the Christ and denounced the scribes and Pharisees for their unbelief and hypocrisy, lamented the same, and prophesied the destruction of the temple, which was God's judgment upon Israel. Jesus said, See, your house is left to you desolate. And then he added, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that got his disciples thinking about the cataclysmic destruction of the temple, the end of the world, and the consummation of Christ's kingdom at the return of Christ. Their their minds were, were, were swimming at this point. Think about how Jesus sounded to them. The temple was God's presence with Israel, a symbol of God's favor toward Israel. It was life for the disciples, but Jesus said that it would be left desolate And so naturally, the disciples were were very alarmed at hearing this, and they had some questions. Look at verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away. Folks, God was leaving the temple. The glory of God was departing from the temple. The greater and true temple was leaving the temple. And his disciples came and drew his attention to the magnificence and the beauty of the temple. Well, they were alarmed. And I think questioning whether the temple could actually be destroyed. Uh, It was among the greatest structures the world had ever seen. What would Jerusalem's destruction mean? What in the world? It would have to mean the end of the world, right? It would would have to mean the, the consummation of Christ's kingdom at that moment, right? They were thinking birth. Jesus was thinking contractions. The Temple Mount was a magnificent sight. The massive stones weighed tons. Some of the stones, hundreds of tons, massive the temple was considered indestructible and yet Jesus told his disciples, verse two, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now that sounded like the end of the world. It appears that they thought Jesus was talking about one big cataclysmic event. Temple destroyed, Christ's return, end of the world, kingdom consummated, one event. We'll look at verse three. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, so they were overlooking, I I wish I could be there to look look at this stuff, but they, they were overlooking the temple from the mountain to the west, I believe that is correct, to the west. And so the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Really three questions there. Number one, when will the temple be destroyed? Two, what sign will indicate your glorious return? And three, when will the end of the age come? They seem to think that it would all happen at once. After all, Jesus did promise them in Matthew 19 that they would sit on 12 thrones in the new world, but they didn't understand his eschatology. His return and consummated kingdom were far off. But other events were looming. And they would experience much of what Jesus described and Jesus was protecting them against massive disappointment and despair as they came into tribulation. It was like the disciples were standing before a row of straight and tall pine trees, slender and they saw one tree in front of them, and Jesus would help them step to the side in order to see the row of trees stretching out long in front of them. Stretching on for a distance, Jesus would answer the questions that they're asking, and he would correct their misconceptions about the last days, and he would give them comfort to endure the last days. The disciples had fears, concerns, and questions, And they came to Jesus for answers and comfort. Now, you probably have questions, I think we all do, about the end times, maybe even fears. Will you come to Jesus for answers and comfort? Our fascination with eschatology should not distract us from the comfort of Christ's eschatology. As Jesus answered his disciples' questions, he gave them words of comfort because, as you can see in the text, they would endure tribulation. He told them, see that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. That was Jesus graciously preparing the disciples for tribulation. In Luke's account of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus told his disciples but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. He prepared them for the shocking events that they would experience. He also told them far distant events, namely his coming and the consummation of his kingdom. Dear friends, in 70 AD, about 40 years after Jesus spoke these words, General Titus and the Roman army burned Jerusalem to the ground and decimated the temple. You can read about it in Josephus' ancient book, The Jewish War. Rome's siege of Jerusalem created a famine that killed many Jews. Other horrific events happened. Ancient historians estimated 600,000 to 1.1 million people were killed in Jerusalem's siege. Men as young as 17 were captured and then put in labor camps and uh, made gladiators in some cases. Women and children were were sold into slavery, and the magnificence of the temple collapsed into rubble. The temple proper was utterly destroyed, just as Jesus said. Jesus prepared his disciples, his church, for these events. Only a portion of the temple mounts western foundation wall, and that's important to know. The structures were were destroyed. There's a little bit of the foundation wall left today. And, And I find this interesting that Jews today reject Christ, the true temple in which we worship God, and yet they go to the Western Wall to pray, not realizing that the glory of God has long departed Israel and the temple. In Jesus alone, we have favor with God. In Jesus alone, our true temple, we worship God. Come to Christ for comfort and allow His teaching to safeguard you. As you await Christ's return, trust his teaching to protect you against falling away. Jesus began to answer their questions in verse four. He said, very tenderly, I think, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Jesus was talking directly to his disciples, warning of the dangers that they would face. He was protecting them against false Christs. He said later in verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. He had just taught them about the hypocritical teaching of the scribes and Pharisees and their leadership and and the destructive nature of that which was absolutely loving protection. He's preparing them, protecting them uh, with that. And then he protected them further by warning of false Christs and false prophets. He was building, I like to think of it this way, building discernment into their minds and hearts, helping them know what was coming. He He was building that into them by his teaching. He didn't want imposters coming along and misleading his precious little ones. He wanted to protect them and to love them On Wikipedia, which, take it or leave it, whatever, but I I like it and I think it does have some good things. On Wikipedia, there is a long list of people from multiple centuries who claimed to be Jesus. You ought to look it up, It's, it's fascinating. It's actually nothing new, but many people have been misled by false Christs throughout the centuries, from the first century. Uh, In the 1950s for example, Sun Myung Moon claimed to be Christ and he started the Unification Church Cult which has today over three million members. A.J. Miller is a a former Jehovah's Witness elder who claims to be Jesus reincarnated, married, uh, married to Mary reincarnated. It's very interesting things. He started the divine truth movement in Australia, and according to Rolling Stone, quote, Miller has been accused of destroying marriages, emotionally abusing his followers, and convincing them to pay for his lifestyle, including international flights, accommodation, his recording equipment, and a $400,000 house where he delivers his seminars, end quote. And these are sad examples of unbelieving, And undiscerning people being led astray by false Christs. It's been happening since the first century. People are led astray because they don't trust the word of Christ. Without biblical discernment, folks, it's very easy to be misled into error. False doctrine, to be easily deceived. One time, uh, someone told me, a couple told me a story about a woman who claimed to meet Jesus Christ walking the streets of Jerusalem and that's how she became a Christian. Now that's perplexing because that story doesn't square with what Jesus taught in Matthew 24. Since Matthew 24 is true, her testimony cannot be true. Harold Camping, he was obsessed with fanciful and peculiar eschatology and predicted the return of Christ, I think, 12 times. (laughs) Come on. He was a false teacher. Many people believed camping, and camping misled and hurt a lot of people. Why do people listen to false teachers who deceive them? Why? They're led astray because they don't believe the teachings of Christ. For example, his teachings in Matthew 24 and 25. Christ uses his word to protect you against being misled by false Christs and false prophets. And then Christ gives you his word to actually give you comfort through his word and his promises. What a great protection. God's word is a means of grace for you to help you and to protect you against Satan's lies You should not be alarmed, brothers and sisters, when you see and hear of false Christs and false prophets. Expect them, but brothers and sisters, discern them. Discern them. These are labor pains. Is Christ coming soon? I have no idea. And if I start telling you certain things, please question me on that. I'm getting weird. I'm already weird. I don't need that yet. We don't know. We shouldn't speculate But we should take comfort in the promise of our King. He will return. He will return. Trust Christ's word. Christ will protect your mind, will protect your heart, will protect your soul through his holy word. As you await Christ's return, trust in God and his promises and live for him for he is sovereign and Christ is building and preserving his church until he saves his beloved in the end. Now when I was younger, I feared the return of Christ. Honestly, it had this eerie feeling to me. So maybe you can identify a little bit with that. My encouragement is this, do not fear as you experience the birth pains. Instead, trust in God's providence. Trust in God's providence. God's providence is God upholding all things by the word of his power and working all things for his glory and working all things for our good. As God's providence allows us to be patient in tribulation, it, it allows us to be strong in affliction, it allows us to be courageous in suffering. God's providence emboldens us. God is sovereignly directing history according to his purposes. It was true for the disciples as they endured tribulation and lived for God as they were awaiting Christ's return and it is true for you and it is true for me as we endure tribulation and live for God as we await the return of our king. Listen to how Jesus prepared his disciples continuing in verse six. And you, he was talking to his, who's his audience? He was talking to his beloved disciples in the first century. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes and various, in various places. You see, they would need their Lord's words and their Lord's comfort as they experienced the tribulation that he described for them. They would need to remember in tribulation, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. That's Jesus comforting with God's providence. These things must take place, but the end is not yet. He, he was answering their questions, correcting their misconceptions, and managing their expectations. They would experience birth pains. He didn't tell them exactly when he would return. We'll get into some of that later on in the chapter. He didn't tell them exactly when the end would come, but they would know what to do when tribulation came. When the temple was crushed in 70 AD, God's providence would carry them through. Jesus told them, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Do you know what that implies, folks? Birth is coming Sometime in the future, the suffering of the labor pains confirms the certainty of the forthcoming birth. That's exciting. As the church experiences tribulation in the age between Christ's ascension and Christ's return, tribulation confirms the promise and hope of Christ. He will return in glory to save his beloved in the end. And this is the church's comfort amidst tribulation and waiting. Brothers and sisters, some of what Jesus spoke has already happened. Some is still happening, and some is yet to happen. The events Jesus described are the result of human sinfulness in the world. And some of what Jesus described happened before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, which continued to happen in the centuries after the destruction of the temple and continues even today. Tribulation defines the church's experience between the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ. And some of what Jesus foretold is yet to come, namely, his glorious return. Has tribulation been happening since the first century During the Jewish war in which uh, the temple was destroyed, hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions, were killed. The Yellow Turban Rebellion from 184 to 205, three to seven million dead. The An Lushan Rebellion from 755 to 763, 13 to 36 million dead. The Mongol invasions from 1206 to 1368, 30 to 40 million dead. World War II, 85 million dead. In 526, Antioch suffered an earthquake which killed around 230,000 people. In 1556, China uh, experienced a colossal earthquake which destroyed a 520-mile-wide area, killing 830,000 people. In 2010, Haiti got hit, 316,000 dead. There were great famines from the first century till now as well. Do not be alarmed! Do not be alarmed. Jesus prepared us for these birth pains. Are we still in the beginning of the birth pains? I have no idea. I don't know. We we don't know how long these contractions will last or when the birth will finally come. But this, dear saints, we do know our king is coming again. He has inaugurated his kingdom and promised to consummate it on the last day at his glorious return. This is our hope. This is our comfort. As we wait upon our Lord, trust in God's providence as you wait. His providence is your comfort. His providence is your strength. In time, He has promised you, dear church, you will be glorified with Him. So until then, trust God and trust in His promises and live for His glory, for He is sovereign and Christ is building and preserving his church until he saves his beloved in the end. Now, this next point relates to God's providence. As you suffer tribulation while awaiting Christ's return, find comfort in the promise of his preservation and salvation. His preservation and salvation. The word tribulation is the Greek word phlepsis. Phlepsis, it means trouble, distress, Oppression, persecution, affliction. So listen again to how Jesus prepared his disciples. Then they will deliver you. Who's he talking to? His disciples in the first century. They will deliver you up to tribulation and will put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. These afflictions would come to the disciples after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And would continue during the age between his ascension and his return. This was not a new concept. For, for the disciples, think back to what he taught uh, uh, the disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, how he prepared them back then. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's been preparing them for tribulation. He heartened his apostles for tribulation by promising them the kingdom, by promising them a great reward in heaven. And in his mission discourse in Matthew 10, Jesus spoke of similar tribulation, but also promised that the Holy Spirit would speak through them. What a promise, In fact, he said, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. They had heard this before. And let's not forget what Jesus said of his apostles right before the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 23, 34 through 36. Let's always be connecting back. Jesus told the Jews that they would kill, crucify, flog, and persecute the apostles that Christ would send. Jesus prepared his beloved disciples, his beloved apostles for tribulation and comforted them with the promise of preserving and saving them. It was, he'll he'll take care of them. Look at verse 13. Jesus comforted them with these marvelous words, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And I take Jesus to mean the one who endures to the end of their life and the end of their service to Christ in the world. They endure. I don't think his tone in that line was, you better endure or you're going to burn in hell. I just don't think that's what he, I don't think that's his tone. His words were reassuring, comforting. He would preserve them to the end, and he would save them in the end. Yes, they would suffer tribulation. Yes, they would be put to death for Christ's sake. Yes, they would be hated by the world and watch people in the church fall away and watch people in the church betray one another and watch false prophets arise in the church and lead many people astray and watch lawlessness increase and watch people's love for God and love for one another grow cold, people that they ministered to, but it would not bring them to despair it would not bring them to hopelessness or condemnation because Christ would preserve them along the way and Christ promised to deliver them and save them in the end. In fact, Christ would use them, these, this motley crew, to take the gospel to the nations. He would do it through them. He would empower them to go to the nations to preach the gospel faithfully and powerfully and they would bear fruit. This was not a mission that was doomed for failure from the beginning. By his grace and by his spirit through much suffering, the apostles would herald the gospel of the kingdom throughout all the world and they would begin the work that the ministers of today are continuing. In the world. I like what Dr. Ligon Duncan said. As Jesus speaks to the disciples, he is not encouraging them to engage in end time speculation or to be preoccupied with signs, but rather he is warning them against being deceived and he is encouraging them. He is exhorting them to endure. I think that's exactly right. He is enduring. He, he, was, he was like, guys, guys, endure. I got you. You're, you're gonna get through this, okay, folks? To really understand what Jesus was talking about in these passages, it's helpful to consider his original audience. Who's listening? Who's he, ta- who's he giving comfort, or I should say to whom is he giving comfort? He was heartening his apostles to endure tribulation, and when we read the book of Acts, what do we find? their tribulation, their tribulation. You know, it's really difficult to live amidst the tribulations of this world. Horrible things, Russia and Ukraine, sexual scandals, mass shootings, political and corporate corruption, natural disasters, gang violence, (laughs) and then there's the church. Deconversion stories. Failed marriages, global persecution, false teachers experiencing explosive growth in their churches, writing best-selling books and getting much media attention while spreading lies and bringing reproach upon Christ's name and the church worldliness in the church which is often then justified in the name of Christian freedom but is really just a misnomer for antinomianism spiritual apathy a disregard for God's means of grace and the most faithful believers those who are really who just really believe the truth and really want to live for Christ and really seek to faithfully live out the law in gratitude for the the gospel of Christ are hated and they're dismissed and they're marginalized and they're considered weirdos or Worse, unsafe extremists. But amidst this tribulation, we have the promise of Christ, brothers and sisters, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's his promise. As you suffer tribulation while awaiting Christ's return, when living the Christian life is more than you can handle, find comfort in the promise of Christ He will preserve you to the end. And he will save you in the end. We must endure to the end. How hopeful, how comforting it is to know that Christ will preserve us to the end. That Christ will save us in the end. As you await Christ's return, dear ones, trust God and his promises and live for him. For he is sovereign and Christ is building and preserving his church until he saves his beloved in the end. Our hope, our comfort, and our confidence is Christ building his church among the nations amidst tribulation just as he promised. We are experiencing it. And so, brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Christ is successfully building his church Throughout or through word and sacraments ministry throughout the world. Look closely at verse 14 in relation to verses 4 through 13. I think verse 14 gives context to the timing of everything. Jesus said the end will come after the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations. The events Jesus described in verses 4 through 13 happen as verse 14 happens. As the gospel goes forth to the nations. In in Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission passage, Jesus sends his apostles out to do word and sacraments, ministry among the nations. The book of Acts then describes the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of Christ, going to the nations and describes the tribulation that accompanies that faithful ministry. See, Christ promised to build his church. And he does that through word and sacraments ministry of faithful ministers, the faithful ministries that he raises up and sends throughout the world to the nations. That faithful ministry has been happening amidst tribulation from the time of the apostles till now. And it will continue until every last elect is saved and Christ returns. Nothing can stop the advance of the gospel in the world as Christ uses his means of grace, his word and sacraments ministry to advance it in the world and to build his church. The nations are hearing the gospel because God continues to send ministers to the nations. That's hopeful, that's comforting, that's very exciting, and you're experiencing that. Right now, are we the nations? You're experiencing Christ being faithful to you and faithful to the nations. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. That gospel is the good news of the dominion and power and authority and supremacy and reign and rule of Christ Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord, that he is sovereign over all things and it is being preached throughout the world right now. False Christs and false prophets come. Tribulation comes. Chaos in the world comes. But the word of Christ is moving throughout the world on the lips of faithful ministers and God is gathering a people from the nations in his son for himself. That's good news. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we ache for the return of Christ. Especially when life is really, really hard. When life is hard because we're trying to serve the Lord and live for Him. Tribulation will come because of Him that we otherwise would not have. And that is very hard as we live in a broken world. And sometimes in our weakness, we doubt Christ because we overlook His power and His truth at work in the world all around us. It feels sometimes like the gospel's just not working. Who's responding? Who's trusting in Christ? The world needs Jesus and they reject him like he's of no importance whatsoever. And that just, man, that is hard to swallow. But look around you right now. Look around. Look who's sitting with you. Right here in Gentile Mannheim, PA, is a group of people who have gathered in Christ to receive the word of Christ. You are experiencing right now, the power and the grace and the mission of Christ in the world. Don't forget, dear ones, that today all around the world, in Argentina, Japan, Vietnam, Nigeria, Sweden, Austria, Moldova, India, the Philippines, all around the world, the gospel of the kingdom of the reign and the rule of the crucified and risen Christ is being proclaimed. Christ is building his church and when the day of God's decree has come, Christ will come indeed. One little article on the last days said this, and I think this is exactly right. Quote, God's kingdom, Jesus teaches, does not come all at once. It is inaugurated in his first advent, continues to grow after his exaltation, and is consummated when he returns to judge creation. End quote. Dear saints, the disciples lived in the last days, and we live in the last days. We confess, right, that Christ ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. That was the beginning of the last days, the beginning of the birth pains that Jesus is talking about. But we also confess from there, meaning from heaven, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. That's his parousia. That's his second coming. That's the end of the age. The last days last until the last day. We don't know when the last day will be, maybe in 10,000 years, but we know that day will come. There is our hope and comfort. So when you see and you experience the things that Jesus described, when the church suffers and yet remains, they've tried to stop the work of Christ in the world and snuff out the light of the church. Has it worked? Fail because Christ has promised to build his church. He's doing what he promised to do. It remains. And it's growing in the world. People are getting saved. People are growing in sanctification. People are deepening their relationship with God through the preached word and the sacraments. The disciples experienced this horrific destruction of Jerusalem and the temple that they loved, and, and more events, and tribulation continues today. And these are but the birth pains, brothers and sisters but every tribulation until the return of Christ is an opportunity, an opportunity for the faith and comfort of the church to be bolstered and to be reminded of the words and the promises of Christ. Lastly, as you await Christ's return, allow the birth pains you see and experience to deepen your confidence and comfort in God's sovereignty and Christ's supremacy. He told his disciples what would happen. They experienced much and died. He's telling us what is happening and what will happen until we die or until Christ returns. Our confidence and comfort is that God is sovereign and Christ is preeminent in all things. Every time you feel a contraction Moms, you know what that's like. In a way, a parallel, metaphorical way. Every time you feel a contraction, church, every time the birth pains are very uncomfortable for you, take heart, be comforted, and be confident that your Christ will come on the last day. He will raise you. You will participate. You are experiencing the sovereignty of God and the supremacy of Christ in the tribulation of this world As horrific as they may be, do not despair, dear one. Do not fret, do not fear, for your Christ is with you. Allow the birth pains to remind you of the overwhelming joy of the forthcoming birth. The day is coming when the reigning Christ will come on the clouds of heaven with power and glory, great glory, and every eye will see him. None will miss him, and he will save his people. Our king will come and will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and he will eradicate all sorrow and mourning and crying and pain from all of the earth. Our king will redeem all things And dwell with us in the new world because he is sovereign and he reigns over all things. I wonder, when it comes to eschatology, do you concern yourself most with the minute details of how Christ will come? Or the comforting reality that Christ will come? I don't think Jesus intends this text to be an object of debate as much as he intends it to be an object of your comfort. Your comfort. We we may have many questions about eschatology, but how kind of Jesus Christ our Lord to comfort his disciples with his eschatology and to comfort us with the same. So brothers and sisters, as you await Christ's unmistakable return, none will miss it. It's gonna be grand. Trust God and trust his promises and live for him for he is sovereign and Christ is building and preserving his church until he saves his beloved in the end. And let me ask, and who is his beloved? As God's chosen ones, as God's church, we are.